Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to hello at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. Like I said, my name is Casey. Um, I'm the operations director. I've been on staff here for a couple and a half years at this point. Uh, you can typically find me in the media, media booth with Shane and other sound techs. Uh, you can find me giving the announcements and transitions or occasionally preaching when Pastor Chris is away like today. This morning we're kicking off a brand new sermon series called Witness. And this is another series that I've been really excited about as we've been um, praying into our different sermon series throughout the year. There was kind of a group of us back in January that said, what do we want to preach through this year? And this was one of them that really stood out to me. Um, But I think I could say that about all of them, because I think Pastor Chris and um, some of these other leaders have come up with some really cool ideas of things that we're going to be preaching through for the year. Um, But I count it as a privilege to get to be the one to kick off this new series today. Grateful to have you with us. Almost two years ago, we went through a sermon series called In This House. It's a series that we've gone back and forth over the every couple of years. And it's kind of this series that we talk about, you know, like in this house, this is how we do family. And it's kind of this moment where we talk about our goals, our vision, our values. And it's kind of this family moment every couple of years that we use to try to like refine and revisit our church's values and identity. And uh, a couple years ago when we did this, it was notable for our community because we went through a bit of a vision rebranding, if you will. Um, The original team that had started our church had come down with some vision, with some ideas of what this church community was going to become, but you never really know until you get like a church. And that's when you start to know your people. It's when you start to have a better idea of like, what are our strengths and what communities are we plugged into in town? And then all of a sudden you get to say, okay, actually we might be able to redefine our vision a little bit based on who we are. And so we did that. And we updated our church's mission statement to this. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. And in this new sermon series called Witness, we're going to be expanding on that phrase, our sphere of influence. And we're going to call on each of our lives to be witnesses for God's kingdom to those around us. We'll be talking about our neighborhoods. We'll be talking about our family environments. We'll be talking about our workplaces, school classes for some of us like me, even though I go to seminary. So hopefully everyone's saved already. Um, But we're going to be talking about just all these different lanes and avenues that we walk in life and how we're called to be a witness in each of them. There's no single lane or avenue that we're supposed to devote our walk with Christ to. Christ is supposed to be a part of all of it, and we're supposed to reflect him and bring honor to him in every environment that we go into. Now, last week, Pastor Chris closed up our worship sermon series with an awesome message about how the fellowship and gathering that we experience here is supposed to lead to uh, scattering. We're supposed to go out into the city, and it acted as a really great bridge into what we're doing in this sermon series here. So if you haven't listened to that, I encourage you to go check it out. My goal today is to get us from a place where we know in our heads that we're called to be witnesses to a place that it's in our hearts and that we really feel the the urgency, the importance of the fact that we're called to be witnesses. 
There's this idea um, that was perpetuated by some church leaders back in like the 90s. They talked about how the church is the hope of the world. And I don't like that language. I don't think it's necessarily the case. I think Jesus is the hope of the world. But at the same time, Jesus passed his message along to the church. He entrusted us to be the ones that continue to see it spread further and further to those around us. And though it is Christ's accomplished work that brings salvation to those who believe, we are still critical vessels by which that message continues to spread. Could God have done this without us? Sure, he does on occasion. Uh, We hear, if you listen to stories from like the Middle East, it's crazy to hear about people having visions of God in their sleep and wake up feeling compelled to go find a Christian and convert to Christianity. God does that. Um, But the primary means, the primary uh, avenue that he has chosen to spread his gospel is through his church. We are witnesses to Christ's accomplished work. And as we dive into the word today, we'll be reading from Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. Matthew 5 is the beginning of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is not only a defining moment in the gospel narratives, but it's also a defining set of teachings for Jesus. Uh, If you've been around the church at all, or even if you haven't, there's probably a good chance you've heard of the Ten Commandments. They're in the Old Testament where they uh, give the ten laws to the Israelites, what it meant meant to be God's people, what it meant to walk with him. And here in Matthew 5 through 7, this almost acts as like a new moment where God enters into a space and he gives the set of defining commands and teachings for what it means to be his people. In the Old Testament, it was the Ten Commandments. And it was from there that people learned how they're supposed to relate to God, how they're supposed to live. And the Sermon on the Mount is very similar. And it's this new moment where God comes in and he says, I'm doing a new thing through Jesus. I'm ushering my kingdom. This is what it means to live in my kingdom, what it means to be a part of it, and what it means to be witnesses for it. And so as we read uh, this passage today, let's remember that context, that this is in Jesus's defining teachings of what it means to be a follower of him. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you that uh, they're alive and active and uh, that your Holy Spirit moves through us. God, this isn't just um, an ancient set of words, but it's a, it's a truth that you've spoken that still exists and pertains to us today. So God, uh, we come to you humbly wanting to absorb this, wanting to walk it out, not wanting to just hear it and walk on, but we want to hear it and we want to do it. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come, that you would solidify this in our souls today, and uh, that we'd walk out of here changed and eager to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, here in Matthew 5, Jesus gives two examples of what it means to be witnesses for his kingdom, salt and light. Both of these are incredibly common substances, right? I don't know about you, but I think my cooking would get real bland pretty quick if it wasn't for salt. Some might argue that it's already pretty bland, Um, but, uh, but it certainly makes it better than how it would be. 
and light. We Oregonians might not be as privileged to it. This summer, we certainly have been, which has been a blessing. Um, But it's obvious, like, light is critical for life, for heat, for existing. Um, And we live in a time where electricity has provided means that we could have light at any time. And so salt and light, you could almost say, are like necessities. They are required in order for healthy and effective living in the world. Light is an obvious one, doesn't require as much defense on its necessity, especially. uh, But when we consider the fact that this was an ancient context that didn't have controlled electricity, they didn't get to just turn on a lamp when it got dark outside. They had to rely on fire and other means in order to have light. It was, uh, it was difficult to come by, but it was really important. And then, uh, you know, salt is a little bit different. Salt, we might feel like it's kind of optional. Maybe uh, it's not as critical to our life today. But in the ancient world, they would have seen salt as, a, as an incredibly valuable uh, substance that they could not have imagined doing life with. Similarly to what we would be familiar with, salt was used for flavoring and preserving foods that otherwise would have rotted, uh, could be kept longer, like meat, pickles, olives, cheese. Salt is also a tool for controlled rotting, foods like kimchi, soy sauce, tofu, and sauerkraut. Uh, Mummification, medicines, processing of certain leathers and the smelting of metals all required certain salts. Salt was used to brighten lamps, uh, and to, it was also used to enhance the efficiency of baking ovens. Salt was critical for the life of somebody in the ancient world. They couldn't imagine doing life without it. And so here's what I want us to consider from this first point. The nature of these two examples. They're not just good things for the world. They're not just beneficial or preferable for those who live in it. They're necessary. They're things that no one in the ancient world would have imagined living without. And how appropriate that Christ's witnesses are compared to something so essential for the world. One of the passages that Pastor Chris referenced in his sermon last week and that we use in our promotional material for this series was Romans 10, 13 through 15, which says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? There's salvation available to those who would call in the name of the Lord. But if no one is out there preaching the gospel, there's no one out there to receive it. They won't have the opportunity to call on his name if we don't go out and share it. You and I exist as means in which the world around us is exposed to the truth and the hope of the gospel. So how will they know it if they've not heard it? This isn't just a task for pastors or people employed by the church. This is all followers of Christ are called into this life. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You have been chosen so that you might declare the truth of what God has done in our lives so that others can have the opportunity to be impacted in the same way. For those of us here that follow Jesus, we each have a testimony, which is a really Christian way of saying like our personal experience alongside the message of the gospel. And as we share our stories, the gospel is spread. As we share the gospel, as we share our stories, um, more and more people hear of what's available for them through Jesus Christ. Just as salt and light were necessary for healthy living, healthy and effective living in the ancient world, 
Uh, Being witnesses to God's glorious love and work in our lives is necessary to see God's plan unfold as intended. Family, you are necessary. And uh, it's not just because you're something that's good for society. There's great arguments for that. I read a great article yesterday about all the great benefits of attending religious ceremonies and of having churches in towns. Like they, they do a lot of great beneficial things for society. And there's a place to make that argument. But today what we're talking about is the fact that we're necessary because we're God's plan to reach the world around us. So uh, as we go out into this journey, being witnesses, what's in our bag? What are we carrying with us as our, as our tools here? First is the gospel message. Second is the word of our testimonies, aka the story of how the gospel impacted us. And the gospel for a little definition here, is the announcement that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God has acted decisively to reconcile the world to himself. In the beginning, things were good and right. But when Adam and Eve fell for the lies of Satan, they rebelled against God and chose their own ways. They chose their own wisdom. They chose to make themselves their own gods. And they broke relationship with God because of this. And just like how many of us know what it's like to take on the tendencies of our parents, uh, we uh, see in the scriptures, it paints this similar picture that we have taken on the same tendencies of Adam and Eve. The entire family line of Adam and Eve has been cursed by sin, and we're going to choose the same kinds of things. So now we choose sin, and we're also impacted by other people's sin too. And that's why life is so messy. Humanity has chosen and continues to choose their own way versus God's. And they suffer ongoing consequences because of this. But the good news is, is that God wasn't okay with this. He sent his son Jesus to live on this earth who lived perfectly. He obeyed God and relied on him as his God, his source of wisdom and truth like no one else had been able to. Yet he took on the punishment for our rebellion, even though we were the ones that deserved separation from God. So while sin created space between us and God, Jesus died to purchase the right that we could be back in relationship with God. And the story doesn't end there. God has sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. He's promised to sanctify us, which means he's going to change us from the inside out. Uh, Sin patterns, tendencies of brokenness in our lives, God promises to enter our lives and on us to change us. If that keeps happening, we can, is that me? Is that you? Okay, how about now? We're good? All right. So the story doesn't end there. Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, and God promises to give us his spirit, where he supernaturally changes us from the inside out. He helps us conquer patterns of sin and brokenness, and he promises that someday he will return and remove all of sin forever. Jesus will return and defeat evil once and for all, and we will live with God as we were originally made to. This is good news. Amen? Jesus rose from the dead, and now you and I have been promised eternal life, that we get to walk with God, and we get to be impacted by the realities of his kingdom now, getting to have our sin forgiven, getting to grow in righteousness, getting to become more like how we were made to be, and someday we are promised that God's going to return, and we'll get ushered into his eternal presence where everything will be like that. We'll We'll be made right with God, and we'll get to live with him as we were made to. And this is good news for those who have been impacted by a really dark and broken world. God has promised to make all things new. 
any wrong that you've done, any wrong that's been done to you, God has promised someday he's going to make it all right. And you might even experience an abundance of his blessings and presence now to see amazing improvements, to see restoration and reconciliation in ways that you never could have found on your own strength or wisdom. In, uh, in their book, Aging with Grace, Sharon Betters and Susan Hunt wrote, the gospel is big enough, good enough, and powerful enough to make every season of life significant and glorious. And I love that quote. Every season of life, the good, the bad, the gospel is so powerful that it can restore, that it can heal, that it can patch together things, and we can experience a glorious life now, and we have an even more glorious life coming for us. The gospel offers us redemption and restoration, opportunities to experience both in the present and in the future. And this is the gospel. And the hope that we have in the gospel is, uh, is probably something that we all agree sounds really nice. Like everything that we go through in this life, God has promised to one day heal and redeem and restore. I don't know about you, but I've been through some tough times. I've been through some really dark nights, some really tough moments. Anything I've ever tried to find hope in has let me down. That might be the same for you. People will let you down. Sex will let you down. Substances will let you down. You will let yourself down. But Jesus will never let you down. He's here for you now, and he's here for you for eternity. And that brings us to the second item that we carry, the second tool for being witnesses for Christ, and that's the word of our testimony. It's where the powerful message of the gospel meets our real-life experiences And a testimony is an incredibly powerful thing to share with somebody who uh, maybe knows the gospel, but has never heard about how it tangibly impacts somebody's life. And uh, I don't know about you, like there are moments where you can tell somebody a truth and they'll believe you and it just hits right away. It changes whatever they thought. But there's a lot of times you got to talk about your personal experience along with it too. Maybe it's a product you're trying to, describe to somebody. Um, you could see all the flashy advertising, all the bright colors on Instagram, on Facebook, but when your friend goes on their Instagram story and says, oh my goodness, I just changed this cleaning product and it's totally changed my cleaning habits, all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to give that a whirl. That sounds pretty great. I trust them. They obviously had a wonderful experience with it. I'm going to give it a whirl. And that is the same kind of thing that happens with our testimonies. There's plenty of times where the gospel message is enough. The story of the restoration, the hope we have in Jesus can awaken somebody's heart and can move them into a response of the gospel. And that's awesome when that happens. I love it when that happens. It's much more simple when it happens that way too. But so much of the time, especially when it comes to our coworkers, when it comes to our neighbors, when it comes to our friends, our family, um, that is accomplished when we talk about the realities of how it's impacted our lives, not necessarily just communicating the truth of the experience. And there are some amazing testimonies in this room. Real life stories of how God impacted your life when you were going through something difficult or challenging addictions you were rescued from, pride you were saved from, family or social environments that you were subject to that Jesus met you in. We all have some incredible testimonies, stories of what God's done in our life. In my own life, a huge part of how God's impacted my life was in my family structure, my family settings. 
My family situation had been pretty messy uh, since the day I was born. And as I got older, it kind of only seemed to get messier and messier. I lived between my mom and my dad's house for eight years from age 10 to age 18. And that was challenging. That was difficult. That's what a lot of people go through. But there were some unique complications and realities in the situation that made it really difficult to identify with other people. And I went to a, a private school that at the time, too, I didn't really know a lot of other people whose parents were divorced. I didn't know a lot of people that had gone through situations that I had. Those eight years of life were incredibly isolating. Um, not only having to explain all the rhythms of what it was like going back and forth between two houses, living out of a suitcase for the most part, um, but just experiencing the relational brokenness that my family continued to go through. It was really difficult. And not having anyone that really related, really connected, was challenging for a lot, a lot of years. I would turn to um, dangerous practices, dangerous habits, substances to try to fix it, and nothing ever worked. And um, even at times in my life, uh, it was as serious as suicide ideation, that it was, it was that challenging. I felt so alone in what I was going through. But at some point in my teenage years, I had a profound experience with God in prayer. And I remember just having gone through this season of such darkness, of such brokenness, that it, it poured out this this heart of just saying, God, I really, really need you. And he met me in that space. And all throughout my life, he's continued to be a peaceful presence. When I, when I was talking about earlier, that, that image of like the spirit moving over the waters and putting together what was broken, that's been my, my life story. So much chaos, so much brokenness. I've watched God put it together. Situations that everyone would have said, that's irredeemable, that's not gonna happen. I've seen God do it. I've seen God heal and fix things. When I was in high school, um, a, a story that really compelled me was this, uh, it's in Mark chapter four, when Jesus crosses uh, through a storm with his disciples on a boat. And it's a really powerful story where Jesus is sleeping in the back of this boat and the disciples are all uh, freaking out, trying to save their lives as the waves and the wind are just, absolutely chaotic. And they wake Jesus up and they say, don't you care that I'm going to die? We're not going to make it through this. And you're just sleeping in the back of the boat. And he stands up and he speaks to the wind and the waves. And in an instant, everything calms, everything goes silent. And he says, what happened to your faith? Don't you know who you're walking with? Don't you know who you're rolling with here? And that's been my experience with Jesus. I've been in so many times where the wind and the waves have just felt so overwhelming. And I've watched him stand up and speak peace and restoration and calm to them. Even at times in my life, it's like it, to this day, if I feel really overwhelmed, there will be moments where I'll just kind of close my eyes and I picture a raging sea and I watch it calm. And it reminds me of that story. It reminds me how God is able to redeem, to restore things that just feel hopeless, things that feel broken. And what's really cool too is like, not only did God meet me in that moment, but I've watched God do a lot of really cool restorative works in and through my family. Relationships that were really broken, people that couldn't stand being around each other, much more comfortable being around each other these days. It's less stressful, there's more healing, there's more health. And I credit it to God because I've seen God unite our family and put us back together in a way that no one else could have ever been able to do so. 
And I know that we all have these stories. We've all had this moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've had this moment where you were at the end of the line, you're at the end of hope, and, and God showed up and did something really profound and amazing. And the people around us need to hear these stories. People around us need to know of the works that God has done in our lives and know that he's not just some guy in a book, but he's real and that he acts and moves today and that each of us have ways, tangible experiences of how he's done that. People need to know this. We are witnesses to God as we bring the gospel and our testimonies to the world around us. People around us, maybe even people here today, are going through some really difficult things. Probably things that we could all relate to things that we can understand. Maybe not everything, but as we collectively put together all of our stories, we'll get a pretty good sample size of uh, life experiences that we could all say, that's where I met God. That's how God stepped in and did something amazing in my life. People need to hear those stories, that God can act now and that we have a hope for eternity no matter what happens. So I've got a couple more observation points for us here as we consider Jesus's Uh, teaching on salt and light. But the first point to repeat was that just as salt and light are necessary for effective and healthy living, uh, so are we as Christ's witnesses. Let's consider what it means to be salt and light. Oh, and there's something in there too about good works, good deeds, which is every Christian's favorite thing to talk about. Salt, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Let's think about my bland cooking again. Salt gives things distinction, makes it stand out. If something doesn't have salt, you notice. If something has too much salt, you really notice, right? This is because salt makes a difference on anything it touches. In the same way, you and I are called to live salty lives. And not salty in the like 2021 modern passive aggressive, like we're not talking that kind of salty. If you're on social media and you see somebody talking about being salty, they're not talking about this. We're talking Matthew 5 being salty. We're not going to blend in with every environment we find ourselves in. We're not going to be able to easily relate to every conversation and point and uh, every lifestyle because God's done something different in our lives that's made us stand out a bit. And so much of us, or so many of us probably feel this tension as we walk into a space of kind of like, I should probably like suppress that a little bit, suppress the Jesus side of me because I don't want them to think I'm weird. I don't want them to know that like I'm that committed to church or I'm that committed to this Jesus thing and like we're willing and we're willing to just kind of put it to the side sometimes. But we're called to be salt. We're called to be distinct, to stand out. And that doesn't mean we're going to be obnoxious. doesn't mean that we're going to be weird. But it means that we are going to stand out. And we're going to make people question, what's going on? Why is your life that way? Ephesians 4, 17 through 24 says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in accordance to the way of truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former life to put off the old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds 
to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And if you and I are going to be healthy and effective witnesses for Christ, we can't just blend in everywhere we go. We have to stand out. We have to put off the old self, and we have to be willing to stand out in some unique ways. We're not always going to talk the same. Our language is going to change. Our reactions are going to change. Our feelings are going to change. And our convictions, all of a sudden, you're going to start to feel like, man, I feel like I'm a little bit of a contrarian in this environment that I'm in. And there's a way to walk in that. And we talk about that a lot, what it means to be in the world, but not to be a part of it. But we're called to, to stand out. We're called to be in environments. We're called to be in places. You look at the life of Jesus. He was in a lot of environments that were certainly not like the most God-honoring places or with the most God-honoring people, but he stood out and he called people to live a different life in those places. You and I are called to do the same. Our sense of humor, our reactions and language, how we treat and care for one another. If we're going to stand out, we must look different in these ways. Uh, one of my favorite pastors, John Tyson, once said, the call on, on the followers of Jesus is to live beautiful lives that make people say, I may disagree with you, but your life has something special about it. We're witnesses for God when we make other people curious about what it is that makes us so different, that makes us stand out. Light. Jesus also said, you are the light of the world. And light illuminates darkness. Science 101. And as we talked about earlier, most of us are probably well familiar with darkness. Even for us here now, as we continue to walk with Jesus, we still are impacted by the darkness of this world in plenty, plenty of ways. Now imagine or remember what it was like to experience that darkness without any hope, without any uh, restoration promises, like you just had to face it. And even worse, imagine facing that darkness over and over again with tools and ideas that let you down every single time. And you just turn to the next thing, you just go to the next tool, nothing ever works. You and I serve as witnesses for the gospel when we bring light to the darkness around us, when we bring hope and encouragement, and prayer and peace to those who are facing overwhelming circumstances or burdens. We speak up about the hope and truth that we have in Jesus, and we bring a non-anxious and comforting presence to those experienced difficult burdens. And part of being this light is doing good works in the world around us, especially for those who are experiencing really challenging things. Matthew 5 tells us that good works testify and bring glory to God. And why is that the case? Because when you and I serve others, when you and I live and sacrifice and put ourselves out there for others, we reflect the heart of God. We tangibly demonstrate what God has done for us, for them. We, we get to reflect that we were not worthy. God didn't have any reason to take care of us, to step into our lives, but he chose to. And so I'm going to do it for you. And how many of you all know that serving and loving people, is, it costs something. It costs time, it costs resources, might cost your comfort. And it's often dumbfounding to people who haven't experienced this before. When they look at the life you live and they see well, you have no reason to be serving with that organization or to be caring for your neighbor in that reason. You have no bond to them. You have no obligation to them. And you get to say, well, actually, I believe that God had no bond or had no commitment that he had to fulfill when I rebelled against him, but yet he chose to. 
And uh, so I live a life that means I'm going to put myself out there for others, even when I really have no reason to do it, because that's what God did for us. He chose to love us, even though he didn't have to. We witness to the goodness of God when we step into a place with hope, joy, peace, and loving acts of service. Worship team, you can come on up. Family, the city around us needs the gospel. Your coworkers, your family members, your neighbors, your grocery clerks and baristas, they need this. This is good news for them. Any other solution that, uh, that they'll find to life's challenges is going to let them down. Most of us uh, in this room could testify to, to that reality, things that we've tried that let us down over and over again. But there are people around us are constantly finding this out. They don't always want to admit it, but if you look at some of the patterns and choices in their life, like constant shifting of priorities and habits and hobbies and all these kinds of things, they're just trying to fill gaps, trying to figure out what's wrong, what's missing. They, they just keep trying all these different kinds of things. And I just fear that if, if we don't take this seriously, if, we, if the church doesn't really take this into their hands, like people are just going to continue to make choices. And some of these choices are really harmful for people. If I, if I can just be real for a second, one of the things that I've been real, my heart's been really broken over the past week is I've read several articles about the overwhelming increase in accidental and intentional drug overdoses that happened in 2020. The statistics are overwhelming. It's challenging to read. But it was very important to me that I read it because it awoke something in my heart that said, oh my goodness, there are people hurting. In, in everything that everyone went through last year, there were a lot of people that were stuck, isolated, alone, and chose some really harmful things as the way that they were going to cope, as the way they were going to deal with it. In my own generation, there's been several prominent pop culture icons over the past few years that have overdosed from various substances. And it's just every, every year, every you know, half, half a year, you hear about some, some hip hop star, some rock star who passed away because they chose something that was so destructive, but it was the one thing that they could find that got them out of it. And people that we know are sometimes not that far from choosing those kinds of things. I, it's one thing to hear about a pop star that this happens to, it feels very detached, but then all of a sudden you hear about it from a friend of a friend or maybe somebody you grew up with. And all of a sudden you're sitting there thinking, goodness, people are really choosing this. People are really like going down those routes that are really, really dangerous. I just, my heart aches for people in that kind of pain. And I think that kind of pain is far more common than we often give it credit to. Part of that is just because, you know, I think our culture can be pretty shallow. We don't talk about those kinds of deep things with people. But a lot of it is because we're not out there bringing the light. We're not out there like presenting the hope when we had the opportunities to turn to those kinds of things, the ways that God fulfilled that whole, the ways that God's continued to fulfill that. There's not been any risks. There's not been any dangers. God's been good. God's been faithful. And he promises only more. The people in our city need this. And I don't say this to like make some really guilt-inspiring message. It's, it, it might do that. I want to encourage you 
Remember the lens that we're considering this sermon series, our spheres of influence. It's the avenues we already walk in. I'm not asking anyone here to come up with like the way that we're gonna solve Eugene's homelessness issues and like to go make a citywide initiative. We're talking about our spheres of influence, the people we walk with, the people we do life with each and every day are struggling with this stuff. It's not just people so detached from the church that they would never come in here. It's the people that we do life with every single day that we wouldn't even think like because we just take it for granted so often. But there's an urgency to this message. And it's important that it gets out. It's important that people know that hope is available through Jesus. The message you carry is necessary. You were called to be salt, to be distinct, and you were called to be light, to bring hope and good works to those around you. And when we do this, we will be witnesses for Christ in all of our spheres of influence. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the hope that you've offered each and every one of us. And God, I praise you for the amazing testimonies represented in this room on the live stream that reflect your great love for us, that you've done some amazing and mighty things. God, thank you. And we praise you. God, would you give us courage to speak up about our stories? God, would you give us courage to talk about what you've done in our lives? How quickly we are to recommend a product or a service or some experience we've gone through about how shy we are about our own faith. God, would you motivate us to be bold, to speak up, to be loving, to be caring, but also to say, hey, I was once there too. And this is how God met me. And I believe he can meet you in the same way. God, would you give us that kind of boldness? Would you give us this kind of faith too, that this message is real, that it works, that it's, that it's the solution to the problems of the world. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a benefit for our society, but it's the missing key to everything that's broken around us, God. Would you give us boldness to be salt, to live distinct lives, to be light, to bring truth to darkness, God, so that more and more people would know of your great love and would be able to walk with you now and for eternity. We praise you, God, in Jesus' name, amen.